All right, thank you, Miss Angie. The children are going to follow Sheila and a couple other leaders. Probably go out that door over there to my left, your right. Okay. All right, the rest of us, as I mentioned earlier during that welcome time, we're going to return to a topic that Chris started last week. I kind of mentioned at the very end of his message. He was in the book of Judges, but we're going to talk about judging others. So we're going to refer to what's written in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your copy of the, the love letter that Angie just referred to, then open it up to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll be there in the reading in just a few moments for the first five verses. You know, when Sheila and I finally got back last week, I think we arrived sometime late Wednesday afternoon, so we both had to return to work Thursday and Friday. <clears throat> but when things kind of settled a little bit and I had a chance to go back to the Word and look at some old notes, I, I found an old story about a five-year-old boy named Andrew. And I want to give you the story this morning because it says while he was visiting, while visiting a neighbor with his parents, Five-year-old Andrew pulled out his kindergarten class picture and immediately began describing each of his classmates. Well, the first boy he pointed at, he said, this is Robert. And he hits everyone. Then he looked and saw another boy in the picture and said, this is Stephen. He never listens to the teacher. Then he found yet another boy in the class and said, this is Mark. He chases us everywhere and he is very noisy. Then he kind of stopped and paused and pointed to his own picture. And he said this. He said, well, this is me. And I'm just sitting here minding my own business. You know, after I got thinking about that little story with Andrew and his thoughts, I realized that it kind of reveals how sometimes we look at people. I mean, I don't know if it is because of some sort of history whether it's genetic somehow or something else, but we tend to look really up on people and find out their faults rather quickly. We can find out what their imperfections are, and often it seems as we look at ourselves, we don't find those faults and flaws and imperfection. We seem to justify ourselves and our own actions as virtuous or even righteous in finding all the faults of others. Well, this morning's message kind of picks up on that particular point and theme, something that I mentioned that Chris started last week on the topic of judging others, and we refer to then what our Lord mentions about that topic, about judging others, clearly was written in Matthew chapter 7 in the first five verses. Now, sometimes we don't think we judge others. Sometimes we just say we're looking upon them and we're evaluating them. It's still a way of being judgmental, whatever way you want to say it. So we're going to look today at what our Lord tells us on the matter of evaluating others or judging. So stand with me this morning as we do so to honor the reading of the word. And we find then in Matthew chapter 7, the first five verses, not lengthy at all, but quite clear to what our Lord tells us on the topic of judging. It says in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the law that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, 
when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. And Lord, today we want to pay attention to the words of our Lord. And we pray, Lord, that it will direct us that we sometimes get in a position where we maybe are being a little bit critical or we're evaluating or, or we find that, yes, we can be judgmental. I pray, Lord, these words would speak to us today and let us then see clearly what you would rather for us to do. So, Lord, we invite your spirit to reign, to lead, to guide. And we pray, Lord, that we would learn what you want us to have from this message today about judging others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what shall happen here today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, these verses then, five verses, just five simple verses that we have read, I noticed is probably not the first time that you've heard or read these verses. I mean, they've, they've been read, they've been reread, they have been applied, they have been preached, taught, studied in many different years of probably your attendance in any particular church, in any pastor you may have been with. But here's the question. As we've heard, taught, received these verses before, have we ever really listened and truly applied them to our lives? Or do we sometimes hear them and become guilty of sitting back and thinking, well, man, I know I'm hearing that verse again. I, I know I've heard this before about judging others, and now I'm hearing it again. And I'm, I'm not so bad about that, but I sure wish Joe was here because he does that, and he needs to hear these words. I mean, sometimes do we look upon these, hear these verses, and do we think, well, they're applicable to somebody else, but they don't apply to me at all. If that's what we tend to be thinking as we hear these verses, maybe for whatever the time that we've heard them before, we're in danger. If we're having some sort of thinking that these verses don't apply to you and to me, to all of us here, as the Lord is speaking to the multitude on the mount, that is very dangerous thinking to think they don't apply to us. I mean, if we're somehow believing, convincing ourselves that I'm fine, I'm good, but it's the other person who really needs to be hearing this, then maybe, maybe these verses apply to us more than we know. According to that, Robert Mounts actually says this in his commentary on Matthew. He says, human nature encourages us to pay far more attention to the shortcomings of others than to our own faults. He said, we tend to evaluate others on the basis of a lofty standard of righteousness that somehow is not applicable to our own performance. Now, hearing those words from Mounts, we just need to face it. We just need to see the reality is this, that we are often very judgmental on certain characteristic traits of others while holding ourselves in a high position of righteousness. I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier during the time that she and I was together last week on vacation. I mean, in the time we're together, I could quickly find her faults, so much so that on anniversary day, the 36th wedding anniversary, she really didn't make a snide comment, but it is an illustration of how if she had, I'd have found her fault much faster than I found my own. And you might ask her later, I do have a few faults, okay? 
don't go into lengthy conversation about that with her. But she could probably tell you, I have a few weaknesses. I have a few faults. I actually have a few shortcomings. I know you don't see them very often. So maybe this message is really speaking to me. But it's the way we are. We find fault against others more than we can find ourselves. So we tend to judge them with their shortcomings and their faults rather than looking at ourselves and seeing that we have the same type of shortcomings. So having said that, then let's consider a few ways in which we sometimes look upon others and find their shortcomings and flaws and weaknesses because it's things like this that sometimes we see about people. Maybe their clothing, what they're wearing. Or maybe we look upon them financially or spiritually or physically. Maybe it's upon education. Or maybe the athletic ability that they may have or not have. I mean, notice whether it's those or any others, all of them are seem to be judged upon an outward appearance. We seem to always look at the outside of the person because we don't have the benefit, the luxury of seeing truly the inner person. So we look upon the outward appearance of a person in some form, some fashion, and we seem to make some sort of conclusion, which tends to be sometimes critical, evaluative, or judgmental. And it happens so often. Sometimes it happens without us even realizing that it is happening. One of the most unfortunate things I have witnessed, I mean, I work part-time with people with disabilities at the Art of Southwest Indiana, incorporates both Pike and Gibson counties. And one of the most unfortunate things I have seen in the time I have been working there is how our consumers, which is the people we work with, how sometimes they are viewed by others in public. A classic example is last year, just after Thanksgiving. It was shortly after Thanksgiving. You know, the Hotty Shrine Circus is typically in Evansville, the Ford Center, around that time of Thanksgiving. So we all had tickets to go to the Shrine Circus. So I take one of the company cars, and I go and pick up two of the consumers. I'm privileged, honored to go pick up two consumers and cater them and take them to the Hotty Shrine Circus. So as we pick up the consumers in the car, I realize they're going to be hungry. I mean, it's an afternoon-evening setting, and I figure, well, it's probably going to be better for them to eat somewhere before we get to the Ford Center. It's going to be a little bit more expensive once we get inside. So as we're driving south from Princeton to Evansville on Highway 41, I take them to their favorite restaurant. What is it? McDonald's. They love McDonald's. So I know this. So as we're headed south on 41, we get just about where I-64 is. And, you know, just south, if you know where I'm talking about, you know, just south of there is the McDonald's. So we stop. We pull into McDonald's. It wasn't COVID at that particular time. So we could walk into McDonald's. And we could have our order, and we could eat, and we could go on to the service. So we go inside, and we go to the counter, and we make our order. One of the two people I'm with does not speak well, and I have to sometimes voice something for him because they have a lot of trouble understanding what he is saying. The other one can probably pretty much speak for himself, and he makes his order. The other one, I'm assisting in helping him make his order. I mean, He gets a cheeseburger, only ketchup, fries, and a small Sprite. Every time. So I ordered that for him. And the person behind the counter is completely polite and patient and understanding. 
everything I've always witnessed anytime I've ever taken them to McDonald's. Their employees are excellent. But afterwards, when we've made our order and one of the McDonald's workers brings the food to our table, we begin to eat. And as we begin to eat, I recognize that some of the people around us, not again the employees, but the patrons, people who are sitting there in McDonald's eating their supper like we are, are staring at us. And, and as I begin to recognize that, I, I see the stares are not really one of understanding and kindness and compassion and of love, but rather one more of disgust. And maybe you're wondering and thinking, how can I, is that not being judgmental on my part? How can I have any discernment of what they could be thinking? But when you're in that moment, you know. It's like if you ever go to the movies before one of your children and they want to watch the movie, but you have a younger baby and you take the baby with you. And you're in the theater and they always make sure you turn off all your cell phones and you have to be completely quiet in the theater so I can hear and watch the movie. But all of a sudden, your baby begins to cry out. Well, as your baby is crying, what typically happens? People look at you like you committed some sort of crime. And you begin to discern pretty quickly. They want you to get up and leave. And they're disgusted with you just staying there with your baby. So you're in that moment, you kind of get the impression of what they could be thinking. And I'm in that particular moment. And I get the vibe, I get the feeling that, we're different. They look different. They talk different. They dress different. And the people that are around us that are watching us eat, they actually eat different, are disgusted. It's like they're upset. It's like they're being judgmental and actually repulsed by the fact that we're eating in the same restaurant with them. Highly unfortunate when something like that happens. And you may hear that in like, it made me angry. You may get angry when you find out that happens. But here's the question as we hear that and think about that. Here's the question that we really need to ask ourselves. How is our actions any different than theirs? I mean, consider that when we look upon someone, again, typically it's only the outward characteristics and features we see of the person. And we begin to look at whatever it is about the person and we begin to make form some, I mean, make some form of an opinion about them. And we come to some sort of conclusion about them. How are we any different? Simply because the way they're dressed or because we know the neighborhood they live in. Or we know what kind of car they drive. Or their physical characteristics. Or sometimes we even form an opinion based upon the person's skin color, their nationality, or the religious affiliation. How does it make us any different when we commit the same offense? You know, to be both blunt and honest, when we become guilty, not even sometimes recognize it, but when we become guilty of doing some sort of judgmental action, it makes us a lot like the Pharisees. Who, by the way, is most likely the target that Jesus is expressing these five verses toward in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, as he continues to preach his sermon 
that started back in chapter 5 to the crowd, the multitude, and to the disciples. But the question as we think about how that may look like Pharisees and, and how Jesus may be speaking to the Pharisees is this, is why would he be referring to the Pharisees? And the, question, and the answer is this, based upon Matthew Henry. He says, Jesus' expressions seem intended as a reproof to the scribes and the Pharisees who were very rigid and severe, very magisterial or autocratic and authoritarian, and of course very prideful in condemning others around them, as are those who are commonly very proud and conceited in justifying themselves in their own actions. So that was the actions, the attitude of the Pharisees. And so when we do it, we're a lot like the Pharisees. So while Jesus was speaking to the multitude, the crowd and his disciples on the mount about not being judgmental, maybe speaking and referring to the Pharisees, he's speaking to all people who become guilty of being judgmental. And he uses one word here. If you ever go back later and read any portion of the Sermon on the Mount, which again is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you're going to find that Jesus uses one word very commonly. He uses it very repetitively. And that is the word found in verse 5 of hypocrite. Hypocrite. He says in verse 5, you hypocrite. Referring to people who are judgmental, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. So having recognized that Jesus calls those who are guilty of such an offense a hypocrite, we need to all get on the same page of knowing what a hypocrite truly is. So here's a definition of a hypocrite. It is a person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs and principles that he or she does not actually possess, especially when their actions contradict their state of beliefs. Now that definition is a very accurate description of the Pharisees and religious leaders of that particular day and time. Now admittedly, not all of them, I can't classify all of them together probably as being completely hypocritical because not maybe all were, but many were. And so yes, Jesus spent considerable time condemning the Pharisees and religious leaders for their hypocrisy. I mean, remember, he referred to them as whitewashed tombs and throughout the Sermon on the Mount gave them woe to you. And so here he is condemning them because they seem to look upon the outward appearance of a person justifying their own weaknesses and faults and features and then condemning others. So as Jesus recognizes this is the case, now he speaks to the multitude, the crowd, and the disciples, and he warns them in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. It is advice for every disciple. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. We're all disciples. We're all followers. So this is advice not just for the limited people who were there at the time, but for every one of us as a disciple and a follower of Christ. Now, we need to pause for just a moment and go back and consider this word judge because we all think on the same page of what's happening here as that is the feature today talking about being judgmental and how he's referring to here as judging others. We all need on the same page of what we're talking about in reference to judge. 
because the specific issue being judged here is not identified anywhere in the text. I mean, note the exact contextual situation is not disclosed here of what brings up this conversation at this moment. So basically, we could say it's just a very broad application. So having said that, the word judge is used multiple occasions in different instances for different application throughout the scriptures. For example, last week, Chris was talking about a judge or judges. As he was preaching from the book of Judges, it is common, as he explained it to you, that there is a judge to rise to the occasion multiple times throughout the book of Judges who comes to the occasion and rescues the Israelites. That is one interpretation, one use of that word judge in the scriptures. But here we're referring to something completely separate and different. And it continues to be so upon multiple instances in scripture with the word judge. For example, in Luke chapter 7, we find a situation in which you see kind of a, an ordinary evaluation. He, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, I have something to say to you. And Simon, of course, Peter answered and said, we'll say it, teacher. And so Jesus says in verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them, he asked Peter, will love him more? Well, Simon Peter answered in verse 43, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Well, then Jesus said to Peter, you have judged rightly, which means that Peter has discerned, he has answered, he has assessed the situation correctly. That's one usage we find in the scriptures of the or judge. But there's more, like in Matthew 19, which is really more of the bestowal of a reward. In verse 28, Jesus said to disciples, he said to his men, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, here it is used more in the context of how it's going to be a privilege for those men who have followed Jesus to be in a position. It's more reward, a privilege has been given to them. Used again in a different manner of the word being expressed here today and being dissected of judge. But there's more. In John chapter 7, we see more of a pronouncement of guilt. You see the verses behind me. I'm going to jump down to verse 50 because the Pharisees here are discussing accusations toward our Lord. They're discussing an accusation supposedly against Jesus. But in verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who had gone to Jesus secretly before in John 3, who was one of the councilmen, said to them in verse 51, he said, does our law, law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So here the word judge is being used in the context of how to try to pronounce guilt upon Jesus or anyone who, can, who is not accordingly following the law. But there's one more in Matthew 5.22, which is one maybe to focus on that maybe we're trying to refer to and trying to make, a, make, trying to make sure we realize. is the determination of a person's fate. But I say to you, Jesus speaking again, this actually is a Sermon on the Mount. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So there's several instances, we went through just four or maybe five of them, in which the word judge is used through the scripture. But the one we really want to wrap our mind around is this last one. Because maybe as Jesus now is speaking to the multitude, the crowd on the Sermon on the Mount, he maybe is referring to what he's already voiced earlier in the sermon in chapter 5 about the fate of a person if they continue to be judgmental. So he warns his disciples and the crowd and gets setting themselves over others, making a pronouncement of their own guilt before God. And then likewise, then we too should be very careful in making these kinds of judgments because we too will be judged by committing a crime or sin much worse than the one we're accusing. Which all that means this then for our first application point of your notes. In simple English, we could just say this, that before we begin to act, before we begin to begin to assess or look upon someone and make some sort of statement before judgment comes upon that person, we need to examine simply ourselves. We need to look deeply at ourselves and note that we have, as I mentioned earlier, we have our own shortcomings. We have some flaws, some imperfections. And because of such, we should not be in a position of judging anyone. In James chapter 4, verse 12, he says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. He says, But who are you? Who am I, who are you to judge our neighbor? Which is the entire principle of what Jesus is referring to, particularly verse 2, when he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, that can look quite calm as you see that written. Or as you write, as you read over in your own Bible, you think that doesn't seem to be anything but just a pure statement about what happens to people who are judgmental. And yes, that's completely true. But in the Greek, if you take that verse and begin to dissect it and look further into the Greek, you find it is written in a matter of being emphatic, like in forceful, like in definite terms, in an insistent manner. And in our English language, we don't seem to capture that. If we truly did capture that, we would have to write the verse, the sentence, with an exclamation point. Sadly, it is not given here an exclamation point, but it's truly meant to be emphatic. And so if we really take what is written in verse 2 and try to really apply it, understand it, it would have to be verbalized in a loud, demonstrative, emotional tone like this. With the judgment you have judged, you will be judged. Notice all the explanation points behind that. Again, it's trying to tell us that we don't need to be so judgmental because it's always going to come full circle around to us. So with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. So as that then is understood, as Jesus makes that statement in an emphatic fashion, and now we turn it and understand how it should be read forcefully, he then goes into an analogy. 
to make sure the point is understood with the plank in the eye. But before we go back and reread those verses about the plank in the eye, the analogy, there's one more thing I think we have to clear up. I mean, clearly here, hopefully you've understood that Jesus is warning people, us, the multitude, the disciples, about judging others. I mean, hopefully we're understanding that, making that distinction very clear. But another question begins to surface in my mind, maybe in yours now, and that is this. Does all this mean then, does begin to imply that as we should not be judgmental or critical, does it mean that we should not hold someone to high and impeccable standards that Jesus requires of all of us? Or worded maybe a little bit differently, can we not be critical of others or actions of our brothers in Christ? Can we not be critical of someone? Can I not be critical of something I see you do? Should I not call you out upon it? Or should you not call somebody out upon their actions? Because is that being judgmental? Well, N.T. Wright answers and says this. He says, Jesus warns against all judgment, certainly. But he doesn't mean that we should not have high standards of behavior for ourselves in our world. But that the temptation to look down on each other for moral failure is itself a temptation to play God. And since we are not God, that means it's a temptation to play a part, to act. To be a hypocrite. Now, I hope you're following then the jest of the question and the answer. But in case you're not, let me say it again, albeit slightly differently in other words. So the question again is this. Is the warning being given in this text in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, to not judge others? Does it reduce the expectation that Jesus sets for all of us? of having high moral standards. Again, are we not supposed to hold one another accountable? The answer then is no. The command not to judge others does not reduce the high level of moral standards that Jesus sets for each and every one of us. Nor is it eliminating the right to call out a brother if he's acting morally irresponsible. So having said that, I thought I would pick up on a couple of gentlemen and use them as an example. So I'm looking over here at Dan and John, okay? And, you know, Dan and John were old Navy guys, right? In the Navy, both of you in the Navy. John, can you hear me? Okay, in the Navy. So sometimes when you're in the Navy, sometimes when you're doing some things, you know, when you're younger, some silly things begin to happen. So if that was them back then, but today they're continuing that form and fashion of behavior and living. I mean, they're drinking, they're partying, they're acting foolishly. They're completely disruptive in their behavior. Have you ever seen that? But if they are doing all that, they're being rude, obnoxious, being Indecent and offensive jokes are being given. If I see that, if we see that, we can say, Dan, John, what are you doing? That's not acting like a Christian. That is not upholding the high moral Christian standards that Jesus thinks of us. We can call them out on it, right? That's what it's telling us. We can say, get back to reality. 
You're not in the Navy anymore. But here's the thing. If we call them out on their behavior that we're observing, but we are doing something of the same manner, even worse, and then justifying our actions, that is being completely judgmental. And because that is true, we then will be judged accordingly because we call them out, but we continue to do it. Makes it on us. And we'll be judged accordingly. We'll be judged harshly because we have condemned them, but justified our own actions. So basically, Jesus is saying here that there is that there is no such thing as public morality. I mean, he is saying here, he is warning that the very people who seem most eager to tell others what to do or what not to do are the people who should take a long look at themselves in the mirror before they actually begin to assess the other person. And so all that that he is saying in the first two verses, as we paraphrase, is all cleared up and supported by his analogy of the plank in the eye, which again is verses 3 through 5. So let's read it once more. He said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you see their faults but not your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Then he says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Essentially saying, judge your own actions first. They are not so righteous. And then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. Which means, yeah, we can call them out on it. But we better be doing the right behavior ourselves. Craig Blomberg looks at this and he says, Jesus now illustrates the foolishness of most judgmentalism with the hyperbole of the speck and the plank. So Blomberg's reference to Jesus using hyperbole is actually accurate. I mean, Jesus often, if you ever read the Gospels referring to Jesus and his actions, his words, he often expresses things in a, in a fashion of hyperbole. And hyperbole really is just an exaggeration of speech. I mean, it's a figure of speech with an exaggeration, with an extreme illustration to catch someone's attention and make a point. So yes, he's using hyperbole here. I mean, notice that Jesus is clearly not concerned about a literal piece of wood, a form material in someone's eye. He's really concerned about the moral failure of the person. So yeah, he's using hyperbole to make a particular point. He's not concerned about that wood, that plank. He's talking about how they continue to be judgmental, not looking at their own actions and just others. So the point hyperbole then is this, how often we criticize others when we have far more serious shortcomings in our own lives. We are very quick to look upon others and find their shortcomings without any degree of difficulty. But we just can't seem to find our own. So maybe all that then leads to our second application in simple words. It's easy to say it this way. Do not judge someone's sin, but rather judge your own sin and actions. 
It's very simple, but yet very difficult for us to actually practice and do. Like referred to earlier, our human nature is sometimes just to look upon the other person and put ourselves better than that person. Make ourselves righteous and virtuous and condemn them for their actions. So in simple words of application, it just bottles, I mean, it, it, it narrows down to this. Do not be so critical of others while justifying your own actions. It's a message that speaks to every one of us because whether we want to admit it or not, at some point, it is highly likely that we have looked upon someone. And if we haven't said something, we at least thought about it on how they look or how they made different than me and you. So don't be so critical of others while justifying our own actions. Which means this, then, that we are all sinners. Every stinking one of us are sinners. Every one of us. Everybody in this room, everybody you know, everybody you'll ever meet, are all sinners. Every one of us falls short of God's standard. Paul made that abundantly clear in Romans chapter 3. In verse 10, he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, he says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yeah, every one of us fall in the predicament where we have sin, that we have committed an infraction, an offense, and we likely have somehow, some way been critical or evaluative of someone in their life. But then we need to be just concerned of our own. Why? Because every one of us will be having our own day of judgment. We'll have a day in which we'll have a given account of our actions and words and thoughts and behavior. Jesus says in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. So we don't need to be worried about anybody else and be judgmental and looking upon their faults and flaws. We just simply need to be concerned about our own, our own actions, our own sin, because we will face that day of judgment. And having said that, let's make this distinction. That the Christian, the born-again believer, will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what that means is this. Make sure you're clear. Every person who has professed and confessed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a born-again believer, will face judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, sometimes called the Bema seat. Every one of us will face judgment upon that day and time. Every one of us who has accepted Christ will have that day of judgment. But listen further, because there's also a day of judgment for the person who has not accepted Christ. When we stand before Christ on that day of judgment, he'll look upon all of our actions and words, we'll be judged accordingly, and we shall receive a reward for what we have done. But for those who have never received Christ, there is a day of judgment, but it is not like the one you and I will face. 
look at what happens in, Ro in Revelation 20 is known as the great white throne judgment. By the way, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will never stand before the great white throne judgment because your judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. But for those who've never accepted Christ, there will be a day of judgment. And it's not a pretty day. Known as the great white throne of judgment. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. For the person who has not accepted Christ, he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. For the person who has not accepted Christ, their name will not appear in the book of life. When the books are opened, judgment begins. For the person whose name is not written in the book of life, it's going to be a very harsh, difficult day of judgment. They refuse to accept Jesus as Lord. And their day then of judgment will be forthcoming. They will be in torment and hell forever. And there is no way to be able to change your destination. That change your destination is available now. We're all going to face judgment. And I would rather that every one of us face the judgment seat of Christ rather than the great white throne judgment, which means then that we have to look at our own actions right now. We don't need to be worried about anybody else in the room. We only need to be worried about ourselves, our sin, our actions. I mean, two distinct days of judgment are coming. One will happen for the believer. A different totally judgment will occur for one who has never accepted Christ. So the question really then is this for all of us. Which judgment are you facing? If Christ should return right now, which judgment would you find yourself appearing before? Would it be the judgment seat of Christ because you truly believe? That Jesus is the Son of God. You've confessed your sin. You've been born again. You believe truly that Jesus is Lord. Or do you find yourselves uncertain? Maybe not committed. Maybe not believing. And then find yourselves before the great white throne judgment, forever thrown into hell, torment, anguish. Which judgment are you facing? The entire good news revolves around the fact of what's written by Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Because, yes, we're all sinners. But while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he died for us, he gave us a chance to stand before God in that day of judgment. And he is our advocate. He is the one that says, I take their sin. They know me. 
I know them. They're one of my own. If Christ should return today, which judgment would you be facing? Today, if you've never made that decision, make the decision to accept Christ. Do not find yourselves one day wishing, I wished I heard, I wish I'd accepted. Don't find yourself standing before the great white throne judgment and be thrown into hell. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word, this day. Lord, we recognize that we maybe are guilty at times of judging others, and now we see the shortcomings of how we have our actions to be and recognize we have our own situation or sin that we should be dealing with. So Lord, I pray for everybody here today, anybody that may be listening or watching, to position ourselves to not be judgmental of others and to now look accordingly at just ourselves. And I pray then, Lord, for all of us to recognize that we need to make a decision of our own sin and profess that before you and come before you and accept you truly as Lord, Son of God. So, Lord, today, during this time of reflection, invitation, I pray, Lord, you'll touch our hearts. Our people who may be watching, listening later, Lord, touch their hearts. And I pray, Lord, for people to act upon this day. We thank you for the word. We thank you for how it gives us the information we need. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking our place on the cross, for forgiving our sin. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.